When you want to emphasize something to somebody else, to make sure it gets through their thick skull, how do you do it? Something that's really important, something that's really critical for their lives, and you want to take no chances in them missing it. How do you communicate something important? I was taking CPR with the Red Cross course one time, and they made us study it three times and demonstrate it three times, and only by that repetition could we receive the card that said we were prepared for that. Maybe you had parents that were like that. They use repetition over and over again. Well, my mama always said life is like a box of chocolates uh, or whatever. Whatever the, 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 the thing that they want to be known for and the thing they want to stress, they say it over and over again. Or maybe you're writing instructions down. You're sending a text What's one way to do it? All caps, right? You write in all caps. It's like, you get this, I'm screaming at you. Or maybe as you send an email, you underline it or italicize it. If you're speaking, you might say it real loud and real slowly, enunciating carefully, or you, or you might say their full name. Jude Reeves Cossey. That's the only time my middle name was ever used when there was some emphasis to be had or... Emerson Elaine Deese, I don't know if that's her name or not. She will tell me later on. But, you know, say that middle name. This is important, what I'm about to say. Well, in our text today, Paul has hit one of those moments. He hits this moment in verse 8 of, very well read, Roger, thank you very much. Titus chapter 3, this verse 8, when he says, The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. You know what it is to insist? I'm just, uh, I want you to get this, and I want you to get this right. Or, or your version may say, I want you to stress these things. Say it over and over, and when they've heard it that many times, say it again. Affirm constantly. That's your King James Version. And one of the more modern paraphrases says, put it out there boldly. I want you to get this, he says. Y'all, this is important, and he says, we as a church need to make sure we communicate this clearly over and over again because it, it is so central to everything we are to do and everything that we are to believe. So we pay attention, but there's a problem, right? Look at verse 8 again. This, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. This is an antecedent problem. Does anybody know what an antecedent is? I'm trying to show off a little bit, and Gary's not even here for me to receive the benefits from it. But antecedent, does anybody in English remember what the antecedent is? You get a pronoun. The word pronoun is these things. And you're like, what does these things refer to? The antecedent to these things. And it's not really clear, but it's something in the trustworthy saying. And in First and Second Timothy and Titus is the only time Paul ever uses this trustworthy saying thing. And it's a capsule form of the gospel in some way. And he says, this is something you can memorize easily, and it, and it helps you to really get the heart of what we believe. And so this, this, uh, this trustworthy saying starts in verse 4. At least I think it does, the best we can. So join me at verse 4 as we read this trustworthy saying again. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved 
us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How many have done this? How many have responded this way? He's just described Raise your hand. Have you, if you done, have you been washed in regeneration? You've received the justification? Okay, that's something that we do. So I want you to know it. That's a trustworthy thing. That's something you can take to the bank. That's something that we've got to talk about all the time. I want you to gather around a table every Sunday morning, and I want you to remember this trustworthy saying. Pay attention. But it's not real clear, is it, what these things are. I want you to remember, insist on, stress these things. What are the these things in that little capsule from 4 to 7? I want to suggest two things according to what the trustworthy saying is. First is, it's why God saved us. Again, how many in here are saved by God this morning? You're saved by God. You know why? You know why God did it? We need to grapple with why, and in fact, some of our songs do. We have over the years. Some of them are old. Why did my Savior come to earth? Right? Why did he on the cross be lifted up? That's an old song. We sing during Lord's Supper a lot. Doesn't get some, but we got more modern ones. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, should die for me? It's a great question that should really be something we sing about a lot, and it's not because we don't know the answer. It's that we forget what the answer is. Somewhere along the way, we start thinking that we've kind of paid it off. We need to grapple with this. Why does God mess with us as human beings? What motivated him to save us? And the reason why I think this is stressed is because he says it so many times in this little capsule from 4 to 7. Notice the first line, right? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, we were rascals, verse 3, but when the goodness and kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Was it because you were so cute and sweet and he just couldn't help himself? No way. You might be cute and sweet, but you're not that cute and sweet. Was it just because you had so much to contribute? Look at how wise and talented you are. Look at what you can do. God can really use that, and it will be beneficial to him. Listen, he never will get enough profit off of you to justify the cost he paid. Ever. Even a Terry Smith or Randy Simpkins will never be profitable to the cost. So why did he do it? Okay, I'm going to ask you, and there's two underlined words. I just want you to say, why did, Jesus, why did God work to save us? Because of his goodness and his kindness. And then, just in case, just in case you have the audacity to say, yeah, but since then, I've really done so much good that it's been worth Just in case that, he says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, No, 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 no. In case you think, well, he's going to get some... No, the works that you were doing when he saved you would never save you. And the works you've done since then won't save you either. There is only one reason. 
God bothered with us. He's merciful. He's good. And so he says right after, here's why I did it, goodness and kindness. Here's not why I did it, because of the works that you did in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And he wraps it up. I want to say it again. It's because of my mercy. Later on, he says it's grace. Four times in this capsule, he says it's all about me. It's all about my mercy. And I want you to know this morning, the only reason you are right with God is because God is so merciful. So we gather around a table here in a moment. Bring every one of your good works with you. It becomes filthy rags. It's nothing. What we gather around is a table that the only way we're right with God is what he did in Jesus for us by his mercy. That's all. And so if you come and you say, I'm so bad. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you say, I'm so bad, he could never want me. Listen, we all were. We all were. I don't care how bad you were, his mercy's bigger than your badness. It's just that way. That's the way God is, and that's why he saved us, his mercy. And he wants us to stress this because we have a tendency in churches of Christ to say, yeah, but ever since then, we've done the five acts of worship every Sunday morning and the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning, and because we paid it off, and so we're doing it right, and we're earning our way. No, you're not. You never could. You never will. It's impossible. It's God's mercy, and that's it, period. Why does he want us to stress this? Well, one, one thing he does to stress it, I want you to look at verse 3. What were we doing when he showed this kindness? We ourselves were at that time foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Woo, we were sweet, beautiful creatures, weren't we? We stunk, we were ugly, and we did bad. That's what we were doing when God was showing his mercy. It has nothing to do with how good you are. While you were making the mess... He was showing mercy to fix it. It's like your kid in the middle of Walmart just pitches a hissy fit, throws down on the ground, and in the middle of that mess, you're just showing such wonderful mercy. That's the time I hated. That's, I didn't hate my kids, but I came close right then, right? It was in the middle of pitching a fit and making a mess that God was showing merciful kindness. Why? Look at verses 1 and 2. This is the instruction that led to this. You'll notice in verse 3, he says, For, right? For we ourselves were once foolish. This is the reason for verses 1 and 2. So here's why we need to stress that it's by God's mercy. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, I want to remind you what the Cretans were like. Paul quotes one of the Cretans and says, It's true. Their own prophets say this. All Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and gluttons. They're, they're selfish. They're self-centered. They're arrogant. They only, they'll lie to you. They'll deceive you to get what they want. They're using you to get what they want. That's what all Cretans are like. Now, here's how I want you to treat them. I want you to be submissive to their rulers and authorities. You mean even when I don't like my president, I've still got to be submissive? That is correct. Can anybody relate to this? 
Whatever argument you're using to show disrespect to your rulers, it's not a biblical one. You're being wrong. I know how hard this is. He goes on to say, be obedient to all authorities. And I have a feeling Cretan authorities were, they were corrupt. They were bad. But he says, I want you to be obedient. I want you to be ready with every good work. I want you to speak evil of no one. That's whether you are speaking to them live or writing to them or speaking about them on face scroll. You get that? They didn't have Facebook because it's... It doesn't matter what form you're using. Speak evil of no one, he says. Avoid quarreling. Don't get in the useless spats. Don't do that. Be gentle. This is not an attribute they would have loved any more than our culture loves. Be gentle and, 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 and show perfect courtesy toward all people. And I can see the Cretans. I can just hear them going, that, the world is evil around us. Look at how they're behaving. And you want us to behave that way toward people who don't deserve it? Why should we do that? Do you know why you should do that? Because God did that for you. You were exactly that way, and while you were being that way, God was merciful. So what I want you to do, take your cue from the gospel, and I want you to go into a world that is so disrespectful of truth, that is so immoral and godless, and I want you to be courteous. I want you to be gentle. I want you to do good works. I want you to be obedient. I want you to speak evil of nobody. I want you to live <coughs> excuse me, holy lives. Why should we? Because God did for us. There's your answer. And so when we stress that our salvation is only by the mercy of God, we're reminding ourselves that we are that mercy to a lost world. That's why. So when, you, when you, somebody treats you wrong and you just really want to respond with such anger, and revenge, and you go, why should I treat that guy well? You know the answer, because we stressed it every Sunday. The answer is, God showed you mercy when you were that person. Now you show God's mercy to them, in the hopes that maybe one day they'll see it and respond like you did. That's why. The second thing he says, though, it's not just about why God saved you. It's about how God saved us. And you'll see this when he says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. When did he do that? When did God save you and how? He goes on to say in verse 6, if you'll notice, he says it's through Jesus, right? Jesus our Savior. Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It was through Jesus he appeared on earth. He actually gives up heaven, appears on earth. We get to watch him for 33 years. We get to see the evidence of his time on earth and how he actually lived in real life settings very similar to ours. And we watch him and we marvel at him. And then, and then when he lives a perfect sinless life, he cashes it all in in a, in a horrendous self-sacrifice and, and, and gives that blood to us. And so he... One time in history, between a Friday and a Sunday, on the stage of earth, on real soil, on a real hill called Golgotha, Golgotha Jesus supplied, past tense, our justification. God appeared in Jesus. 
He supplied everything necessary for your salvation was poured out in his blood on the cross. Anybody who gets saved anytime, made right with God, anytime after that, it's on the basis of that. Anybody who got saved and made right with God before that was on the basis of that supply. And that's God making his appearance. But did he save you that day? The answer to that is no. This is for all of us. This trustworthy saying is for all of us. And so he, he, he updates it. Look at verse 6 again. I'm sorry, verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ. There comes a time when you realize what Jesus did in supplying all that you need for salvation. You come to a knowledge of that, and you actually appropriate that for yourself. You come before God, you, it, it comes to you. It appears to you finally that cross that cross is something you're convinced in your mind is for you and when that happens God gifts you with a second appearing he washes you with regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit what he does is he pours out on you the Holy Spirit who takes the supply Jesus made and provided and he applies it to you but it's in the present tense y'all it's not like he does it once and then goes on he supplies it and he works it out in your justification he takes up residence and he becomes a living God inside of you directing you to apply that supply to your own life this washing regeneration I love the regeneration word kata genesis you get to do Genesis all over again. You get a whole new beginning. You get a whole new way of life, and you're renewed with a different way of life. And it's not just by your power. It's God moving in through his Holy Spirit. He pours out the Holy Spirit into your life. When you are being immersed, God is pouring his Holy Spirit into you, and he's applying the supply that Jesus made. This is God working. Why is this important? Why is this stress important? The other question the Cretans were asking was this. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be courteous. Very challenging. And so the first question they have is, why in the world should we treat the world that way? Here's why. Because God treated you that way. Second question, how can we Cretans, who've lived that way ourselves, suddenly do an about-face and actually live a different ethic? How can we actually speak evil of no one how can we actually be courteous to all people we don't have it in us oh yes you do the way God saved you he put his Holy Spirit in you and now he's assisting you we need to talk this way in the church we need to stress this in the church and do you know why I mean it should be obvious we should be talking about the Holy Spirit because you're not alone in living this Christian life it's not by your power alone that you're living out the request of the it's not by your power alone that you're loving your enemies and forgiving those who sin against you. It's not on your own strength and white knuckling. It's not that. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit God gave you when he saved you. You're not alone in trying to do this. How in the world can we possibly live the Christian life with all its demands in a world that has so many challenges and temptations on our own strength? Well, we don't. It's by God's strength. Now, we're going to test this theory, but here's a summary here. 
What are the these things we are to stress? We are to stress why God saved us. And here's why. Because the answer of why God saved us, or yeah, why he saved us, is also the answer of why you need to live the way you do. We ask our young people to actually go out into a world where every day at school they are inundated with all sorts of temptations and all sorts of things that go against their human impulses, and we're actually asking them to live the Christian life. I don't, I'm not going to, we can't issue exceptions. Well, I understand it's difficult to forgive somebody who says that about you, and so I tell you what, just, just try maybe, but I understand why. No, we can't. You've got to forgive people who speak evil against you and do things to you. You must forgive. Why? Because that's how God treated you, and you take your cue from him. And we do that in our adult world, too. We live pure lives in an impure world because that's the way God did for us. But the other of these things is how God saved us. He did it through Jesus himself and through the Holy Spirit that he gives us so that we can actually have the power to do it, and we do. We need to remind each other every week, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. Let the Holy Spirit empower you to actually make the right responses to people in those settings that are challenging. And so we test it with verse 8 again as we wrap up. Here it is. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things in this trustworthy saying. So that, and here's what, it's by stressing these things, that what, why God saved you and how God saved you, you, so that those who believed in God, that's you and that's me, we've benefited from it, may be careful to devote themselves to good, to, to good works. I can argue with you all day long like sermons used to do. You gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, but if I can't convince you why, and I can't convince you how, you'll never do it. You'll be out in the world and somebody will cut you off in traffic. Why should I treat them with kindness? Why should I forgive this person? <clears throat> Why should I look at this person and, re and, and see all the damage they've done and not respond in kind? Why? If you're constantly having to be told what to do but not why and how, you won't keep it up very long. So stress these things so that those who believe in God, that's us, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. It's a tall order of the kind of life we're supposed to live. Loving enemies, forgiving people, submitting to all authority in our lives, including authority that has ethical issues in themselves, to show courtesy, when people don't deserve it. Think about the Christian life and why be faithful. These are all the responses we're supposed to make, but if you don't know why, so in a moment we're going to gather around this table and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. And when we remember it, I hope that you'll reflect on two things. Why did he do this? For us why did he do this it's by his mercy how did he do this by jesus and the holy spirit and then when the when the lord's table is over and we wrap up service and you return to your life outside these doors you've got a way of life to honor and you might say to yourself why should i even mess with all that christian stuff 
Why do I care what people think of me and what words I use to express myself and how I treat my wife and how I raise my kids and how I discipline my... Why do I care about anything? You care because of the very same things that you just observed we get at the table of why God saved us and how. You've got your marching orders, but more than that, you've got your reason why and you've got your power how. All by remembering the gospel today. This morning, if you've obeyed that gospel, there's no response necessary except to go and do good works and know exactly why you're doing them. But if you are a person who's never responded to the gospel, you've heard it preached this morning. It's by God's mercy. Don't sit there and say, what do I need to do to be right with God? Well, you need to accept it. There's no doubt about that. And name Jesus the, the, your Savior and be immersed in the waters of baptism. But as far as your work, don't clean up your, don't clean up your behavior And then come, just come to him. His mercy will save you. And then he will give you the ability to actually live a holy life that you won't have without his help. All in the waters of baptism, the washing of renewal of the Holy Spirit. This morning, things can be different for you, a a different kind of life for you. And all it takes is a response from you. And that response is perfectly timed right now as we stand and as we sing together.